The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode nine of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show, we have a very special guest. Her name is Melissa Turkington. You guys probably know her. She's, I think she's at Leftovers Movie on Twitter. I'm checking that right now as I fill this dead airspace with me saying that I'm recovering from a cold right now, guys, and I hope that, uh... I hope my voice isn't all goofy. Um, I got, I, we recorded this episode and then like the next day I just got hit with like a wave mid afternoon of feeling like shit. Um, it was serious enough that I was like, Oh, I have to like stop what I'm doing and rest. And I did that. I took a two COVID at home tests that Biden sent me. He sent me four. But um, I took two of them, and I was negative both times. <clears throat> so I went and got a PCR test, and I think it's PCR, PRC, PCR. Um, and that was negative. So I guess I just had, like, the flu, but it was weird because I had, like, every symptom of Omicron. So, yeah, Melissa Turkington is at Leftovers underscore movie on Twitter, um, give her a follow. She's very funny and keeps it kind of light, um, which we need that talks about writing a lot, but, um, she is a screenwriter and director from, um, she's Los Angeles based. She won AFF Austin film festivals pilot competition. She won the drama teleplay subgenre part of that competition. She has a short film called Leftovers that sounds really good that she describes in this. That's why her handle is at leftovers underscore movie. She also has a short doc called Marginalia that's on the way that I am super excited about after hearing about it and getting the context. And it has to do with something that happened on Twitter with a viral tweet that if you followed Melissa for a little bit, you kind of know about. And uh, I hope you enjoy the story behind it as much as I did because it got me really hyped to see the doc. I can't wait. Um, Melissa's awesome. We get into that. We get into her as a writer, her process, everything, her background, her history, everything that makes her writing her writing. Um, and she's also a mother. She works at a university. Uh, she's balancing a lot of different things and trying to chase this dream uh, when she can, which, you know, a lot of us can relate to trying to squeeze this thing in that we put so much work into and we don't get paid for yet and emphasis on the yet because it's on the way for all of us uh i do want to remind you guys that you can donate to the podcast if you want to at social writer pod on ig or twitter you can click the link tree link and there is a donate a donate button uh feel free to do that if you can if not not a big deal 
Also, guys, I want to tell you about our friends over at the Finish Line Script Competition. So now in its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is currently open for regular submissions. The competition offers six plus pages of script development notes that allow you, the writer, to rewrite and resubmit new drafts for free throughout the competition. Finish Line wants you to be judged on the best draft possible and will help you improve your script. Winners and select semifinalists meet over 45 top TV and film industry mentors, real meetings with agents, managers, producers, and executives who have read your script and are interested in being involved in developing your career. Submit today at Coverfly, Film Freeway, or Network ISA and get your script in the hands of industry professionals tomorrow. You can also visit them at finishlinescriptcomp.com. Hey guys, Melissa Turkington. It is so nice to finally meet you. How are you doing today? Pretty awesome. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I'm excited to have you. So I've known you, I don't know, like a year on Twitter. Who knows? What yeah. is time? I, I, don't, I don't know. And I don't even remember. I think I followed you because I saw that you had won an award at AFF for your pilot. And I was like, yeah. holy shit. Uh, that's impressive. So, uh, I followed you. And then ever since then, you've been very funny and lighthearted and just silly on Twitter. And that's always my kind of people. Um, so I dig it. Of course. Yeah. Um, so let's jump right into it. Melissa, how did you get into screenwriting? Uh, My path is so long and convoluted and boring. Um, (laughs) so I'll try to hit the highlights. Go for it. Um, We can do this for literally all day. I don't care. I have all day open. So yeah. Careful what you wish for. Um, (laughs) It's funny because I want to say I came to it late, but I, I listened to your podcast Mm -hmm. and I feel like every single person has said I came to screenwriting late. So like most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them have. And me too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So if we're all late to the party, is anyone really late? No, I think we're right on time. That's a good point. Exactly. Um, so my personal path, um, I always knew I was going to be a writer and I thought I was going to be a poet Mm -hmm. because I was a very impressionable youth. Mm -hmm. And I think I wrote my first poem at like four or five. And my mom was like, Oh, this is so good. You're going to be a poet when you grow up. And I was like, cool. And that was just what I was going to do for the rest of you my life. You just never forgot that. <laughs> yes. Um, it was just yeah. an assumption that that's what was going to happen. And so I didn't really take anything else into, into consideration growing up. That's amazing. Like, yeah. Um, so I did, you know, I was a theater kid. I did improv. I did choir, all that stuff mm-hmm. um, in high school, but never really thought of it as an alternate career path, even though I really enjoyed it. It was just Mm -hmm. an extracurricular activity on my way to becoming a poet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it took me until college Uh to really realize that I even loved film and theater. Mm -hmm. Um, I went, I, again, being the impressionable person that I was, I got to college, not realizing, um, the the type of school that I was applying to. Mm -hmm. So I went to this alternate alternative, um, interdisciplinary, like little hippie college. Mm -hmm. And so you don't take a bunch of classes (laughs) and electives and choose what you're going to do. You take one one class, man. And it's called life. 
No. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't get into the one lit program that they were offering. Uh-huh. Like, oh, fuck. What am I going to do now? Oh, shit. Um, and the closest thing there was, was this integrated theater, media, sociology, gender studies program. Okay. Um, so that was great because it got me out of that mode of this is the one thing that I'm supposed to do with my life. Yeah. And got me back into the stuff that I really enjoyed, but never considered. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, even like as I graduated college, <laughs> I got to graduation and was like, oh, I know how to be an artist and I know how to cultivate my voice, but I have no idea how to turn that into a job in the industry. Yeah. I was never taught any of the practical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I knew was LA sounded really scary and mm-hmm. competitive. And I wasn't ready to do that. So yeah. I took the safe route. Um, and I have worked in higher ed for like 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And only a couple years ago, did I kind of take a step back and say, I re- this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I got off track just because I was afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I've lived a lot of life since then. Mm-hmm. LA is not so scary now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so only the last couple of years have I really taken screenwriting seriously and has it really fallen into place? Like, Oh, duh. Like you really love writing poetry kind of connects to screenwriting in a weird of way. Course, yeah. Um, and so really starting to like, just take it seriously and get on that path and make the connections that I need to make. So, yeah. um, you to it very late, but. Yeah. What year was that where you were like, had that revelation, like this is serious now? Um, I decided, so when I had my like own personal come to Jesus, it was uh-huh. like 2015 or 2016. Gotcha. Um, I had a toddler. I was working all the time. I owned my own business and it, I was like getting the life sucked out of me. Uh-huh. Um, and what I decided at that point was I was going to take a certificate program. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't know what it would be in. Mm-hmm. but it would be a low stakes way to figure out if I was fooling myself mm-hmm. um, or if I really had the ability to go do this. And then I found a screenwriting yeah. certificate, jumped into that, thrived and was like, okay, yep. not fooling myself. I can do that. I got I got it now. To- yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. That's awesome. Um, I love that. Like your first little taste of positive reinforcement in your life. You were like, that's it. That's all I need. I'm just going to run for 20 years on that. So so <laughs> That's so hilarious to me. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's awesome. And of course, like, you know, all kinds of writing do connect to each other. So poetry, mm-hmm. especially novel writing, you know, and uh, if you can write a novel, I mean, if you can cut down how, uh, you know, fluttery your descriptions are and everything, you can definitely screenwrite because it's the mm-hmm. same exact thing. It's storytelling. Um <laughs> But yeah, so has has your uh, past in higher ed, working in higher ed, has it made its way into any of your stories? Do you have stories about teachers, about college, about anything like that? Because I actually just wrote a story, my only pilot, and it's got a lot. It's in a college town. It has to do with a college campus and all these things. And that's my first time ever writing that. So I'm curious if you have injected that into your writing. (laughs) Everybody asks me that all the time. I will say I don't know that I have it in me to write a story specifically around college life. Mm -hmm. 
um, maybe sometime in the future when mm-hmm. I'm very distanced from it. But yeah. um, what it really has given me is a whole lot of crazy experiences mm-hmm. um, and people sort of in that um, age group where they're finding themselves and transitioning into adulthood and making some choices mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and really being able to observe that behavior. Yeah. That's been really helpful. I bet. Um, I always say like, I will never be surprised by anything again, but I'm surprised in the new ways that people find <laughs> to do the same ridiculous stuff over and over again. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I'm also surprised every day, it just blows your mind what people will do. So yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. It's, it's good people watching. Yeah, absolutely. You run into so many characters. I was a server at a restaurant for like nine years total. <clears throat> and yeah, I have tons of experiences there. And um, a lot of, uh, I worked at a buffet at a golden corral, actually, if you're familiar. So, um, and like, I would work the day shift a lot of the time in my later years there. And it's just like a lot of old people, a lot of old couples, you know, they come in for lunch every day, or maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, <clears throat> they had like a deal from one thirty to four in the afternoon called the early bird special. And it's for seniors yeah. only. And you come in and you get a cheap buffet price and a free drink. So they loved it, you know, cause that's what you do when you're in your late sixties, you just look for all the deals in town and you go eat mm-hmm. cheap food. Um, but yeah, I ran, I, you know, I met all kinds of people, many of them very sweet, but like all kinds of people. And uh, I feel like I, I write older characters into my scripts a lot. And I think it has to do with that, you know, like spending <laughs> so much time with that demographic and yeah, just really interesting. But um, anyway, um, so next I want to know, um, are you current? Do you have representation right now? I sure don't. Have you uh, yet? In the I past? haven't. So okay. <laughs> I have a horror story. Everyone has their horror story, right? Absolutely. Um, So in that certificate program that I took, Uh um, they had a contest uh, among, so you had to get nominated into it by your instructor. So it was like every instructor chose the the strongest screenplay from their students that year. And then they had a panel of judges judge all of those Uh to pick the strongest screenplay of all of the students that year. Okay. I won that. Mm-hmm. And it's like cash prize. And then they like pat you on the back at graduation. Mm-hmm. But the other piece is that they put your name in the trades. Mm-hmm. And so I had my name in like deadline and all these places. And I got bombarded with reps and like all of these people. Yeah. Thing is that was like a second draft of the first real screenplay I'd ever written. And so, Oh no, it's one uh, of those stories. Yes. So it happened too fast. The question, what else Mm. do you have comes up? Mm -hmm. And I actually managed to get really far into a conversation with, um, management 360. Okay. And they hadn't asked that question yet. And I was like, mm-hmm. thank God, thank God. And like mm-hmm. looking really good. And then this woman's like, I'm going to be out of the country for a couple of weeks. I'll hit you when I get back. Mm-hmm. And so she comes back a couple of weeks later and it sounded like at that point, like we were ready to sign. Mm-hmm. And then she came back and she's like, oh yeah, do you have anything else? And I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to cobble something together in like yeah. two weeks. Yeah. It's not good. That's not going to end well. It was not great. Yeah. Um, so bombed that. Oh um, God, that sucks. 
<laughs> so bad. Yeah, I've talked to a few writers who have that it happened too quick story mm-hmm. and it's always so devastating. Like I'm actually in pain right now <laughs> listening to that. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry, continue. Um, so that was my like big horror story. And then yeah. Austin came along and that was actually less helpful winning that as far as connections. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they blast you out to their contacts, but who knows who that is. Um, and so we did get contacted by places, but it was like an intern at such and such at one of the big four. And it's a courtesy thing. Requesting your script and that's kind of it. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah do yeah. they read it? Probably not like that. I, kind of stuff. I had um, some of that with the nickel when I was yeah. a semi only a semifinalist. Uh, yeah. A lot of that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. not as much as I expected. I was a nerd. Whenever I made the semis, I was like looking on Reddit for past people's personal experiences. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, you're going to like go out for groceries one day and return to like 50 to a hundred emails in your inbox. Mm-hmm. And I think just off the nickel, not me, like, you know, pushing myself on Twitter or having some friends in the industry, like helping me out, you know, using that momentum from nickel. I think organically I got like maybe three emails inquiring, being like, Hey, we heard you, you know, placed in the nickel. Uh, it was, that was not my experience. And I was super bummed out by that. But, um, so it sounds like Austin was kind of similar. Yeah, it was, it was a tragedy. And I don't know if it was just the year or what, but I really think like they did not put our names in the trades. Mm. Um, and I really think that was the difference. I don't think it was that they were sending out our stuff personally. I think it was that we were mentioned in the trades that it sounds like it in comparison with the UCLA thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm at the point now where I feel the momentum. So I'm getting reads organically through people who either semi know me or know my friends. And so it feels a lot more personalized and like people are reaching out to me because they're actually interested in what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feels really different than those experiences. Mm-hmm. And so hoping sometime in the near future, that's going to turn into something for me. Um, and I'm also in a place now where I actually have a portfolio and I know who I am as a writer, which, you know, makes yeah. a little bit of a And you have some good accolades. Like, uh, it sounds like it's only a matter of time. I mean, with what happened at UCLA and sure it happened a little too soon, but then, um, to go on and, uh, win in AFF is huge. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like, and if there's any reps listening, check out Melissa, she's on Twitter, you know, almost as much as me, which is 24 seven, but yeah, uh, hit her up though. Uh, I've definitely found too, like, you said, you know, using the word momentum, I think that's what helped push me along in the very end of 2021 was, like I said, the nickel organically didn't really do shit for me, but it was that I had two separate kind of, uh, uh, what is the word? I'm a writer and I can't think of the word. Um, (laughs) it's, uh, I had two like people helping me out, you know, like in the industry, one of them being, I've said it a lot on here, but Dorian Connolly from roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, just reached out organically and DM'd and was like, Hey, uh, I want to read your stuff. And then her and Joey Tuccio were like, we like it. Can we send it out for you? And that's what led to me getting repped was the meeting that they found for me. And then I had another small group, uh, with like a mentor of mine who, uh, was helping me out too, and got me quite a few meetings, like five meetings. Um, nice. so yeah, it was like, it was a mixture of things, but however it was like, 
me consciously knowing at that point, because I'd never had buzz before ever. Um, I had been trying and trying for years to get this going. So I kind of knew in that moment that like, this is a moment of momentum. And like, you need to capitalize on momentum mm-hmm. because it will just fizzle out. You know, there's yeah. people who have like won the nickel and couldn't even get a manager because, mm-hmm. and I think, and this isn't like to talk shit or anything because it's hard out here. But like, I think it was because of a lack of, capitalizing on momentum maybe it was a lack of awareness about just how important it is to like fill this window mm-hmm. uh and with me you know like just pushing myself on twitter every single day i think that helped because like dorian directly directly mentioned that in her dm like hey i see you on twitter all the time uh and i saw that you placed in the nickel so would it be okay if we read your stuff you know and yeah it was just really rad but uh and they're awesome those two over there, uh, Dorian and Joey, but anyway, uh, cool. So yeah, reps listening, hit up Melissa, uh, Melissa, how would you describe your brand quote unquote brand as a screenwriter? Uh, uh, (laughs) So what was really interesting, I went to Austin one year and if you've never been to Austin, it's a really great experience. Please go. Um, I've never gone. I want to really bad. It's great um, just mm-hmm. for meeting people and hanging out with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody goes to the Driscoll bar mm-hmm. and you just sit down with a bunch of random strangers and learn from each other and hang out and have fun. And mm-hmm. I went and I sat down in this group of like 20 writers and didn't know anybody. And this guy sat down next to me and he's like, let's play a game. <laughs> um, and he's like, I want to go around and I want us all to say um, what we write but you can't say like genre or like any of those like buzzword things. You have to Mm -hmm. describe what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to start out with, I write stories about blank. And so we all went around and I think I said, like, I write stories about, um, really complicated, uh, people who are their own worst enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's true. And I still write that. I don't Mm -hmm. have antagonists in my work. It's always, Mm -hmm the protagonist getting in their own way. Yeah. The battle um, with oneself kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was a really good way to just like, think about how you market yourself because mm-hmm. I am a person who crosses genre. I use a lot of like surrealism and stuff like that. And it's really hard to like pinpoint who I am as a writer using those traditional markers. Mm-hmm. And so that's a way to say like, all of my stories are about this. Love um, it. Yeah. yeah. I think so many writers too out there are going to value hearing that. Um, Cause not all of uh, some of us like to write horror, sci-fi, dramedy, drama, comedy, and whatever else, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that now I'm realizing like literally like last week, realizing <laughs> um, that I'm probably going to be like the lady who writes like crazy true history stuff in Mm -hmm. a really like voicey way. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a terrible way to describe myself, but I have noticed that all of the projects that I'm drawn to and that hold my attention the longest are Mm -hmm. these like true stories Mm -hmm. that happen in history that aren't really known or, you know, have dropped off that are just like bonkers stories. Mm -hmm. And that I really like to capture sort of what I feel like the mood of that moment was um 
like using those conventions. So like one of them, I'm writing about like a quack doctor from the sixties who like shot up a bunch of celebrities with like his own urine and like that kind of stuff. What? That's true. It's true. See? (laughs) So like I can, I can really lean into that, like surrealism and stuff like that. Cause everyone's hopped up on, you know, whatever he's injecting them with. And like, you have to things and it's like anxious and crazy. Um, and so that's really exciting to me. And then yeah. that seems to be a theme among all of the things that I'm writing right now. So um, I really think that that's probably going to end up being where I put most of my time is those type of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of just now figuring that out. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's a good way to go because like everyone loves IP right now. So it's um, <laughs> it's not a bad direction. Uh, and it's cool that it like, it's not just you like chasing a trend. It's like genuinely appeals to you. And uh, yeah, um, there's so many, I, I've just learned from true crime shows and true crime podcasts, like Jesus, this, <laughs> this happened. Um, these things that no one's ever talked about, no one ever knew about. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so crazy. I feel like uh, the streamers are doing a really good job capitalizing on that with like documentaries, like true crime mm-hmm. docs just stories that are like are you kidding me i'm thinking of one that was um uh in plain sight i believe it was and it was about a a a young girl being kidnapped by her neighbor but her neighbor was you know like uh doing terrible things to her when she was a child and um the parents knew that this grown man in his like 50s have you seen it i'll describe it for the audience this I'll, I'll spoil i'll give you just enough without spoiling but this grown man he was in his 50s or 60s was coming over to this family's house and staying the night in the girl's bed when she was like 11 and the parents were fine with this and they were under the assumption that he wasn't doing anything and and then from there it's just like a chain of events that each one is more unbelievable than the last and you're just like and they have real interviews with the parents today who are the dumbest fucking people on planet earth i swear to god uh it's just like it'll infuriate you how the lack of awareness that these people had or just that they're trying to cover their ass and playing dumb. But to me in the interviews, these people are genuinely that dumb. That's how (laughs) stupid these people are. Um, But also there's something to be said about how uh, effectively manipulative the man was too. He was (laughs) super manipulative. Um, But yeah, it's crazy. It's shocking. And it's also heartbreaking. But yeah, in plain sight, I'm just doing a fucking two minute plug for that show. So hit me up, Netflix, pay me. Uh, But anyway, yeah, stuff like that. uh, Just like that's the last one I watched that just blew me away. Like this happened. This isn't a movie. Um, But anyway, yeah, that's cool. Uh, And especially again, I love that you're not breaking it down to just like I write drama. I write horror. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's super cool and super helpful to a lot of people i'm sure so melissa since everyone's routine is unique can you describe your regular writing routine to me uh what time of the day do you usually like to write what room of your house are you outside are you in the desert uh what's it usually like when you sit down to write uh, so I am a single mama and I have a day job and I have two side hustles. 
So I write whenever the fuck I can write. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that's 2am and sometimes it's, um, right before getting my kid ready for school. Mm -hmm. It's anytime I can fit it in. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also a person who I will write my first draft mostly by hand Mm -hmm. and then type it out on the second draft. Mm -hmm. And then I will print that out and I will take a script around with me everywhere, um, to take advantage of wherever I'm at. So like, Mm -hmm. I go hiking a lot. I will take a script with me and I'll Mm -hmm. go sit and I will write at some point during that. Um, if I'm meeting someone for coffee and I have 10 minutes until they show up, I have a script with me. Like it's slightly embarrassing, but that's how I get it done. Yeah. I just find like the little moments. Um, and you know, even if you're just thinking about it during the day and something, you know, you've been struggling with comes to you. I have a notebook with me. Um, so wherever I can fit it in, I fit it in. Um, I always have coffee always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same. Um, (laughs) I'm too much, too much coffee. It's bad. I need to laugh, but um, (laughs) I'm one of those people who like someone will mention coffee or I'll see a picture of coffee. And even if I just drank coffee, I need more. Me too. Um, I'll feel my heart beating out of my chest and I'll just be like, yeah, but it's fine. Like, it's okay. I don't know. I gave up, I gave up drinking alcohol a couple of years ago and I have an addictive personality, obviously, because I had to give up that and I just replaced it with coffee and caffeine and it's so, it's just as bad or if not worse, but no, it's not just as bad. I mean, I can drive a car freaking out on coffee, (laughs) you know, and be okay. But yeah, uh, I'm, I relate. Uh, so I was going to ask, um, oh my God, did I lose my train of thought? Oh no, I was going to comment that, uh, that's something I would want to try. I think that's cool to go hiking. And then like when you're already on that, like natural out in the nature walking, you know, getting the blood flowing high to sit down and think about your writing. I feel Mm -hmm. like that would be such an optimal time to think about it, you know, rather than me, like, just again, guzzling coffee in a chair all morning, not moving my body at all and being yeah. like, why don't I have ideas? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you need to get out of the house and just go do something. Uh, and then all of a sudden the ideas start flowing. Um, yeah. Changing, changing your environment, I think has really been important for me at least because I yeah. will, I will sit in the same spot. That's my writing spot, my designated mm-hmm. quote writing spot. Yeah. And I will just sit there and suffer in silence for hours, not being able to do anything. And uh-huh. then you walk outside like 10 feet to my patio and suddenly things start flowing. Yeah. Um, it might be like the sun touching your skin, you know, maybe <laughs> like not sitting in the not dark. Like all day. A vampire. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is. It's a mystery. No, uh, <laughs> it's like the most obvious shit ever. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, that might help. <laughs> um, oh, the thing I wanted to ask was um, whenever you're handwriting your first draft, are you writing that in script format? Yes. Oh, that's super interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever talked to someone who does that. That's super yeah. cool, though. Uh, why, why handwriting? Um, I think it's just like the kinesthetic. Um, I was talking to another person on another podcast. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. Don't say the name. I won't. No ads. <laughs> no, so the, I already gave Netflix like a million dollars worth of advertising <laughs> for free. But anyway, I'm sorry. I think they would be able to give you like three fifty. Um, but what he was saying is he does this too. He writes 
by hand. Mm -hmm. Um, and what it is, is it gives you permission to make mistakes. Whereas if you're typing and it's, it feels like a really permanent thing. Mm. Um, so you, you're okay with like crossing out the line as you're writing it and just rewriting it over. Whereas if you're typing it out, it feels like you can't touch it. Mm -hmm. Um, interesting. And I think that's very true with me too. Yeah. Um, where I will just script, like, I look like a serial killer. If you find one of my notebooks, like yeah. you can't even read it because it's written over so many times, but yeah. I know what it says. Um, but it's because I, I feel like it's not a permanent thing. I can change it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and just feeling pen to paper is such a different thing than typing. It's and a I don't vibe. Really That's for sure. It. it is. Yeah, no. Um, in college, I used to, um, and I was an older college student. This is only a couple of years ago, but um, I always hand wrote while a lot of kids typed because I had like read in my very beginning of college that like you just usually remember things that you hand write a little mm-hmm. bit better than typing, and I found that to be true for sure. So I would handwrite uh, all notes. So maybe I should experiment more with handwriting because I at this point. Nothing I do in my writing process, even just like little ideas and stuff, nothing is handwritten. I don't do cards. Mm. I've tried to do cards. I don't know. It's just not me. Maybe at some point I'm going to be forced to really learn. But uh, right now I'm like, I I sound like a hacky, just newbie. But I uh, (laughs) every time that I go to write something, this is true. I lay out the save the cat beat sheet template in word and I just fill it in and like that's why I'm such like a staunch defender of uh save the cat you guys should send me money too dude I need to quit <laughs> doing free advertising yeah with all these people. yeah I should be at this point but I'm just too generous I guess no um but yeah that's what I do every time so and I just do it in a word doc so I type and I fill it in and you know I type delete whatever move things around mm-hmm. but um yeah, so I always argue that whenever people really shit on Save the Cat, I'm like, dude, I mean, I've had a little bit of success and like I use Save the Cat every time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Use you, it, and, and there's no uh, right or wrong way. Exactly. Whatever works for you. Uh, sweet. So could you describe your process to me? Like you have a new idea, you're on a hike and you're like, oh, shit, that's kind of cool. Um, what is the first thing that you're going to do? Are you going to like write an outline are you going to just write maybe like a simple log line are you going to think of cool titles what's the very first thing that you do when you have a new idea oh my god so you're gonna see my neurosis come out full scale right now i love it Um, i actually wrote this down so my Mm -hmm. pre-writing process Mm -hmm. is a little bit overkill Um, and I cannot start pages until I've done each of these things I've tried. I can't do it. Um, and part of it is that training piece. So like you, you trained on save the cat and you still use that. I learned a very specific process, um, in my screenwriting program and I still use that, but I've added to it and I haven't Mm -hmm. taken anything away. Wow. Um, I'm interested. (laughs) My process is like insane. Um, So the very first thing that I do usually, um, is try to come up with a title, but if it doesn't come at that point, I save it for later. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I can find a title right away, it really helps like ground the story for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's usually the first thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then 
what will usually happen is I will see either the beginning or the end really clearly mm-hmm. in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I'll start trying to write to that. So my process, here we go. Mm-hmm. I wrote this down. Okay. Step one. After All right. Time. Step one of 179. Of 179, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah. I make a playlist. Okay. I love um, it. I do the same. Not step one, but I do that as part of my process. (laughs) It's either one or two. Depends on if I'm feeling risky. Um, And so that's like, that's both songs that I feel like I would want to see in the piece. And it's songs that specifically capture the tone of a a moment. Mm -hmm. Because when you're on like draft four and you've totally lost all hope and you've lost your way, it really helps to go back and just sit in the tone. It does. Uh, So I create those. And then I create either a tone poster or I create a lookbook. Okay. Um, I do full character bios and dream casting. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a short, medium, long summary. And then mm-hmm. on that document, I have the log line. I have the internal and external goals of the protagonist. And then I have the dramatic question to the best of my ability at that time. Mm-hmm. Then I do a seven pointer. So I do like all the major beats. So key incident inciting, break into act two, all that stuff. Um, and then I do a full beat sheet mm-hmm. and then I do a full outline. <laughs> if you guys could see my video box, the fear <laughs> in my eyes right now. <laughs> no, um, I wanted to ask real quick. So before we get too far into it, cause I have some questions. Uh, what is <laughs> dream casting? So like, the ideal actor that you would see playing the role of oh, that character. Cool. Um, so it helps cool. me just like visualize the voice of that uh-huh. person. Yeah. Um, Cause what you would write for Will Ferrell would be very different than what you would write for like Colin Farrell. Um, Absolutely. And you only so, put Farrell's in your movies, correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Right on. <laughs> Every single one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am that over the top. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, but the best part is once I've done all of that, mm-hmm. I throw it in the trash and I pretty much never look at it again. So are you serious? <laughs> Very serious. Why? Why would you do all that? To throw I it think... away. That's crazy. I, I mean, it's well... not crazy. I'm not calling you crazy. <laughs> all I'm saying is that that's wild to me personally it's definitely a and maybe 99.9 percent of the listeners <laughs> but i will say though like you must know your story inside and out by that exactly yeah which exactly. is good yeah um there are times when i when i call back to stuff so like the song like need mm-hmm. the tone and stuff like that of course um, but it, what happens to me when I get into pages is the story becomes something else. You start hearing the characters in your head. They want to do other things than what you planned for them. Yep. And I choose to follow that curiosity as opposed to sticking to my original plan. Smart. And so if I go back to the outline that I originally had, it's going to get so messed up mm-hmm. um, that it's just going to be like trash by the time I get to the end. Um, so I try not to, stick to it as I'm writing, but I'll use it as a reference if I need it. Um, and like you said, it's just to get the story as hashed out as I possibly can before I get to pages. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just fun. 
I like that. Um, the other question I had is what is a seven pointer? Seven pointer um, is, so if you're using three X structure, mm-hmm. it's key incident and sighting incident, break into act two, midpoint, break into act three, climax and ending. So it's just the major plot points that you want to hit. You know, the further I get into writing, the more that I'm maybe doing more of a seven pointer than the save the cat thing, which is a 15 mm-hmm. beat, mm-hmm. I think. I, I feel like I'm getting closer to that. And then a lot of times, like, I don't know, I, I just used to try to write it all in the outline and I can't do it because, the again, like you said, the further you get into writing pages, the more you know who these people actually are. And then you're like, and then sometimes you're just like, you finish a scene you're like, I think the next thing now would be this, even though my mm-hmm. outline says this, this is way more fun. It's way more cinematic, whatever, uh, sweeter relationship thing. Um, yeah. So I've found a healthy balance between when I wrote my first feature, I did it all just improv off the top. I had nothing planned and I just went <laughs> in and did it. Yeah. And like, and the surprising thing is for the most part, like structure wise, it is mostly the same today, which that script is called suplex. And it was the first one I finished. I had tried to write features and failed. And then I finished that one. But mm-hmm. um, then the third one I wrote, I started using save the cat and being like, I want to be a professional writer. This is what professional writers do. They outline the entire thing, every detail, everything up front and then you know of course the further i got into writing the more writers i met the more i learned that's bullshit and the more i just learned generally that the rules are kind of bullshit i mean you know follow formatting you know yep. uh but even that within reason you know like if you don't want to capitalize the sounds in your script don't fucking do it who cares you know <laughs> or if you want to capitalize a bunch of shit it might make your script read weird, but like, there's no rule against it. And I'm sure there's mm-hmm. someone out there who can do it in a savvy way where you're like, this is fun, you know, yeah. to read. Um, but yeah, anyway, I found the medium of those two now of being like, lay out some important beats, you know, of course right. you should probably know you're breaking the act two because that's what your entire story is hinging on. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, you know, you can play a lot of it by ear. You know. Mm-hmm. The Social Screenwriters Podcast is sponsored by BraveMaker. We are a 501c3 nonprofit film organization dedicated to supporting filmmakers and screenwriters just like you, elevating brave stories for justice, diversity, and inclusion. We have a film festival July 7th through the 10th, 2022, in person in Redwood City, California, the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. We invite you to consider submitting your film and screening with 40 other filmmakers from around the country for our four-day annual film festival in July. Check us out at bravemaker.com or look for us on Film Freeway at filmfreeway.com slash bravemakerfilmfest. Brave stories change the world and you are the story. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube at bravemakerorg. Uh, okay, so moving along, uh, on average, how long for a first draft to be complete? Um, like from when you start writing pages, not preparation, just pages. Um, this is part of my how I was trained too. So I set a hard deadline for myself. Um, so I will spend 
10 weeks at most writing a first draft of something. And mm-hmm. the first two weeks of that are that prep time. So that's when I write all the character bios and stuff. So Got I spent eight weeks writing a first draft mm-hmm. tops. Um, obviously like when you're writing on spec, life gets in the way and that can get pushed. But like, mm-hmm. I try really hard to say, I'm going to write the project. I'm going to commit this time to writing that project and not get swayed by life to get away from it. Um, and then if it's a second draft or subsequent draft, I limit it to five weeks. Um, and that, that can be like, I'm one of those people who rewrite as I go over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so that can be like, that can be one draft or that can be three drafts in that five period time. Yeah. Um, but definitely give myself a hard deadline um, to finish something by, or else I won't stick to it. I will let everything else um, take precedent over writing if I don't do that. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a really, and also it's a reasonable time to give yourself while also being realistic that like, it does take this long. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, at the least, like, I think that, uh, again, two weeks of prep and then eight weeks to write the thing again with life getting in the way and you have a job and all these things. Um, it's reasonable, but it's, um, it's also like definitely pushing yourself mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like there's some people out there who can write a first draft in four weeks and more power to you. But like, for me, it's a minimum of, uh, two months. Yeah. I am slow and plotting. Yeah. I have several friends who can just bust out something almost perfect mm-hmm. first draft in like two weeks yeah. and I want to kill them. I don't yeah. know how they do yeah. it. Yeah. Fuck every one uh, of those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are the worst. <laughs> They're the worst for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I cannot do that. I can't. Um, Me neither. Um, so. and I was just talking to Brian Arnold on the last episode and uh, we share this with you that we rewrite as we go while we're writing the first draft. And, uh, and again, I'm very neurotic too. So like your, your planning process, it's a little more neurotic than mine, but like at the same time, I'm that kind of person as well. Like Mm -hmm. I can't just move on from a scene being like, well, you know, it won't be like that in the final draft just keep it moving. I'm like, I have to get it to where it's perfect now. Like, why would I move on? And I'm, I'm jealous of people who can just be like, yeah, I do a vomit draft, you know, 130 pages, but I know it's going to be a hundred in the end. And I'm like, you're going to cut 30 pages. (laughs) Um, that's the other thing is like, I need to land on my page count, my like Mm -hmm. estimated page count. I need to land on it. Fucking perfect. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't like going back and cutting a bunch of shit. Like I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, or being like, yeah, I'll cut this scene and go back to this scene and combine that information. That just seems like too much work for me and mm-hmm. it's going to make it harder for me in the end. So I need to make it perfect now. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm psychotic like that, but <laughs> um, yeah, two months minimum. I'm even like three to four sometimes, but uh Hearing you say that, though, it's inspired me just now to the next thing I write, I am setting a hard deadline because I haven't done that in a minute. I did it in college and it worked Mm -hmm. amazing. And then when I got out of college, I did it on like the first project out of school. And then I kind of quit doing that. And I think, yeah, it's given me some license to be like, yeah, well, you know, I'm doing other shit. I was also making a Mm -hmm. short film and that got in the way. Yeah. But um, anyway, hey, you know what? Let's throw that in here real quick. 
you are making a short film called Leftovers. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about this except that it's been in your handle on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so what is this short film? It's your debut and it's in production. So Leftovers, I actually shot it once. Mm-hmm. I'm reshooting it. Um, okay. Leftovers is a four minute silent short mm-hmm. and it is about grief. And um, it is about several personal stories that kind of came to light all at the same time that really inspired me to think about sense memory and how it plays into grief. So, um, I, uh, was living with my parents in grad school and our neighbors across the street. Um, the wife got stage four terminal cancer and was gone like within weeks of her diagnosis oh my God. and her husband disappeared <laughs> shortly after that just took off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it was a small town. So everybody's like, Oh my God, is he okay? Like what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back a couple weeks later and we invited him over for dinner and he said it was too much. Um, every single thing in this house reminds me of her. They'd you know been together for 20 something years. And the straw that broke the camel's back was everyone's calling me to console me and ask what I need. And I don't want to answer all these things. Like my phone is ringing off the hook. Her voice is on the voicemail and I can't erase it. And I'm hearing it over and over and over again. Um, and so that was really obviously heartbreaking, but also interesting that that was her voice that he, Mm -hmm. that was the piece that he couldn't get rid of and he's trying to like carry with him. Um, and then I also, um, was losing my grandmother at that time. Um, and so taking care of her and, um, I was staying up one night, like doing the night shift. And I watched this show where it was like some trashy, like reality TV show and some movie star, um, had moved home and was dealing with grief from losing her dad. And she opened up a shop like right next door to his old house. She, she was unable to like clean out his house cause she couldn't get rid of the memories. Mm-hmm. And she had created a candle that was scented like her dad. And so it had like wood chips because he was a carpenter and it had like his aftershave scent in it. Mm-hmm. And so she was really connected to the memory of his smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then my grandma passed shortly after, and I had a very strong connection with her mm-hmm. and we had to go clean out her house. And when you walk into her house, I remember this, she, I'd go to her house every summer growing up mm-hmm. and, um, you walk into her kitchen and she has like AM radio opera on 24 seven mm-hmm. in her kitchen. And mm-hmm. I remember that memory. Yeah. Um, and I don't think she ever turned it off the entire time I was growing up and we walked into her kitchen and that was still playing and I had to be the one to unplug the radio. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And until that time I was good. Like I'm real solid with Uh just dealing with the issue for Mm -hmm. everyone else. Yeah. And that broke me. Oh man. That's such a, Um, such a special detail. Yeah. Like, yeah. And isn't it crazy that as writers, that's how we look at the the hardest moments of our life 
Mm -hmm. uh, that can break us or, you know, witnessing someone else having, you know, dealing with grief or dealing with whatever it is that in the back of our minds, we're still like, that's a really interesting story detail. I'm (laughs) taking note of that. It's like so selfish in a way, but, um, (laughs) but you know, that's what we do. We, that's what our writing is. It's expressing our deepest feelings, you know, from Mm -hmm. our unique experience. Um, wow. That's a really, really powerful set of stories, but, um, that last detail of having to turn that music off. That's very, very powerful. Yep. That's in the story. Um, (laughs) So are all three of those little tidbits in there or is it just the one at the end? Um, They're referenced. So basically what it is, is it's a woman dealing with grief. You don't realize that that's what's happening at first. It just looks like she's going about her daily chores, Mm -hmm. but there's something a little bit off about the chores that she's doing and you realize halfway through she's collecting things. Um, Mm. and then at the end there's a surprise. Um, but it's basically her unique way of keeping the person she lost around a little longer. Mm. Um, and so hopefully it's an uplifting story and not a horror story, but (laughs) no, that um, sounds amazing. I think anyone listening is going to be excited for that. Um, and you didn't give away anything you didn't want to give away. Did you? Nope. Okay, cool. As long as we, I didn't force you into (laughs) spoiling or like bait you into spoiling. No, I think that that's just like a really good teeing up of making everyone want to see it. Uh, so when can we look forward to that? I know you said you're reshooting now. Is it going to be a little while? Um, I'm actually going to reshoot in a couple months. So I am working on a documentary right now, um, that came up in the meantime. And Mm -hmm. then my plan is to shoot leftovers after that. So hopefully the summer will shoot and then by the end of the year, get it out. Sweet. Um, Yeah. That's interesting, actually, that you bring that up, that specific theme, because uh, I mentioned the pilot that I just wrote is my first one ever. And it's like a dumb story about like, it's kind of like a a university version of like Breaking Bad, where this uh, young man, he's actually a dropout from college, but he lives in the house that his uh, mother owned when they grew up uh, him and his sister and she dies pretty suddenly and he's living in the house and he has a couple roommates and uh, they're, they took over the mortgage, you know, instead of selling the house Mm -hmm. and uh, his two roommates move out suddenly. And now he's left with this mortgage. And this is like his beloved childhood home that carries every memory of his mother. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to him to keep this house. And in like a financial bind, he takes to, selling his ADHD medication to the kids on campus to make this all work. And then there's like a a fraternity who kind of runs that ADHD medicine selling ring. And he, it becomes like a breaking bad type situation, but with a college kid, but anyway, like, yeah, I very much have like been zoning in on, um, and I didn't even realize I was doing it, but that kind of, uh, uh, grief, uh, like sensory, uh, kind of, grief that you were talking about with um holding on to the past through physical items or Mm -hmm. like you know touch sight smell whatever um yeah it's just weird that you you brought that up in such an eloquent way too um that speaks to exactly what headspace i've been in for like the past month trying to write this thing Mm -hmm. um yeah i really like that and i cannot wait to see your short (laughs) thank you me neither yeah (laughs) right uh, and you're directing, writing, directing. I'm directing, yep. 
Yeah. Sweet. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Okay. So we'll jump back in. I just wanted to talk about your short for a second. Uh, We talked about the first draft. So when the first draft is complete, what's the first thing you do? Do you send it to a few peers? Do you put it away for a little bit and then like bust it out a couple weeks later and read it? Do you do paid feedback? Do you just throw it into contests? What do you do whenever a first draft is complete? You just type the end. Um, I would never throw a first draft into a contest. Uh, <laughs> Psychotic. I did it with my first, first script <laughs> just ever. Light that money on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people get away with it. They do, but that's pretty rare. Um, so I have a writer's group that's really awesome of trusted peers um, who will tell me the absolute truth about how shitty my first draft is. Mm-hmm. And because they've sort of been helping me draft it all along the way, we do, you know, 10 pages a week, everybody presents pages. And so by the mm-hmm. time you get to the end, you know, that person's story and what they've been trying to do the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the first group that I, that makes the pass. Mm-hmm. And how then, many, how many members, if you don't mind me cut? the whole group is like 20 people, but it's usually only like four to six that are in any one presenting week. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it's manageable that way. Um, but they'll do all of their notes. And then what we do is we also send a completed draft to one person in the group. And so you'll like have a script buddy and then Mm -hmm. you read each other's full drafts and you give top to bottom Um, and then what I usually choose to do at that point is while that's still fresh in my head, I'll make whatever notes I feel are applicable to a second draft and then I'll put it away. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I try not to touch it for like three months. So I'll try to busy myself with a different project in the Mm -hmm. meantime. So I'm not thinking about it. And then I'll go back to it with fresh eyes, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And then all your old notes too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that helps so, too to get away from the notes that you initially got. Mm-hmm. Leave those in a drawer with the draft. I like doing <laughs> that. And then come back and I'll read the draft and I'll read through the notes. And then you have a way clearer vision of like, oh, that is a super good note. That makes yes. sense. Whereas like maybe when you first read it, you're like, oh, I don't really get what you were going with there. But yeah, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of put it away for a little mm-hmm. bit and then bust it out later. Um, I didn't used to do that. I've only started doing that in the last year and I love it. I like, there's no better feeling to me than typing the end and just fucking closing the laptop (laughs) and being like, I'm not looking at that shit again for at least two weeks, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's cool though. And, uh, another, another proponent of writers groups, which we have many of. So anyone listening, Jen Dunn at writer Jen Dunn, I think is her handle. She's got an app for that. Go peep that. Mm-hmm. Listen to her episode uh, of this podcast. Let's see. So sweet. Uh, at what point do you think you entered contests? Like how many drafts do you think you usually go through to where you're like, this is pretty polished. Um, it usually takes me like three or four drafts to get yeah. to a place where I think it's at least solid. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who has like the worst negative self-talk ever. And so <laughs> I always think whatever I do is shit and it's never going to get anywhere. Same. But I at least am confident enough to say like, this is the story that I was wanting to tell and it might not be the best version of it, but I'm going to mm-hmm. try. Yeah. 
Um, so three to four. Yeah. And after you do it enough times too, you do that three to four and you have the negative self-talk rocking and everything. Uh, you do it enough times, you get back that first bit of feedback from people outside that just say, yeah, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's enough for me to know going, I'm less scared now than I used to be because I'm like, it's going to be fine, dude. Just send it. Like it's not (laughs) the end of the world where, and like in the beginning, you know, to any newer writers listening or anything, it's supposed to be that scary. Like it is that scary for all of us. Um, (laughs) It never goes away. It never goes away. It just like, it gets a little more manageable with repetition, just like anything. Um, I've talked a little bit and I know you mentioned that you did improv in college, Mm -hmm. uh, but doing improv was the same way for me. Like in the beginning, so scary, but repetition, (laughs) repetition, repetition. And soon you can get up there. You're always going to have the nerves, but then you kind of learn how to use it and be like, I'm supposed to feel this way. That's normal. Let's go do this. The minute you get up there and a scene goes well for 30 seconds, you're going to be fine. Yeah, You know, like that was my rule doing improv was I would try without like, you know, shoehorning in a bit and like fucking over my scene partner or anything. (laughs) I would try to get a laugh in my first scene at some point, uh, do some kind of laugh line, something that I think is going to be funny. I hope is going to be funny. And if it lands, I was cool as a cucumber the rest of the show, just feeling confident not afraid to jump into a scene, you know, uh, whatever, but also that backfired sometimes and I would bomb and eat shit in the first scene and the whole rest of the show, I'm just on the sidelines. Like if you go back out there, you were going to bomb again. Um, yeah, it's crazy. We get in our heads so much, especially, especially if you're a neurotic person, like you or I, or Mm -hmm. honestly, many writers that I meet, I think it's almost like a prerequisite. Like, you know, people who have like, have to be a weirdo. Yeah. And you know, like people who have like not a ton of self-awareness and they're just uber confident people that like, it seems like they could say something stupid and you see it in their eyes. They don't care. They're just Mm -hmm. like, whatever, like I'm, you know, super comfortable with me and all these things where if I say something and I think it's dumb a second later, I just turtle and I'm like, oh, fuck. And I think about it for the next 15 minutes. Like, why did you say that, dude? Everybody Um, hates me. Everybody hates me, all that stuff. And I think that like, most writers are that way because like mm-hmm. the process of writing isn't just throw it out there. Don't give a fuck whoever likes it or not. You know, like if that is your writing process, I would argue that you're not trying hard enough, you know, mm-hmm. like you have to be some type of neurotic to do this. <laughs> um, so you mentioned working at university in the past. Mm-hmm. Is that still your current day job? Uh, even is. in like a part-time capacity. And you said you have a company. Yeah. So, um, I work full-time at a a major university, um, Mm -hmm. and I'm a conduct officer. Mm -hmm. Um, so all the narcs report to me basically. Oh, nice. Um, (laughs) That's, that's a pilot in the making in my opinion. Um, (laughs) Good for a people pleaser to be in that role. Um, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Um, so what I do is, uh, I am basically like social worker, counselor, lawyer, Mm -hmm. um, in my day job. So writing is a great outlet to get away from that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm also a title nine investigator. And so, um, part of my job is, um, investigating and and adjudicating sexual misconduct, Mm -hmm. um, at the college level. So, um, it's a super fun and uplifting thing to do. 
For sure. And I want to do it forever. But <laughs> if someone wants to rescue me from that, I would not complain. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in addition to that, um, I am a script analyst. So I just freelance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I write for a script pipeline um, on the side too. So yeah, saw that in your bio. That's super yeah. cool. Uh, shout out script pipeline. Um, let's see. So yeah, that is, that is again, you know, with gathering story fodder from our everyday lives. I mean, that's like a a position where I'm sure it's endless, just meeting different kinds of people, hearing different kinds (laughs) of drama. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You run into a lot of it. Uh, cool. So, you know, you kind of talked about writing being an escape from your profession, which I think it is for many of us. But um, what are your hobbies outside of screenwriting that kind of help keep you grounded and sane? <laughs> are we allowed to have those? Um, <sighs> Legally, I don't know, but under the <laughs> table, maybe. <laughs> Clandestine um, activities include, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love to cook, I love to bake. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my business was in life. Oh, nice when I thought that was my dream and then realized it was an actual job and I hated the business part of it. Yeah. Uh, so remaking that a hobby has been great. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet. so really love doing that. Um, and then I'm also a runner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the activities, the only activities that I found that I can, I can physically feel the stress leaving my body as I'm doing it. Same. Yeah. Um, I'm not like a huge runner, but like, yeah, I'm in the last few years. Yeah. I could, I would not survive a marathon, but me uh, neither. Yeah. But (laughs) running around the neighborhood. Yeah. And just, you know, uh, sweating, you know, panting at the end of it. Yeah. I can feel the stress. And I, you know, I think that we have the neuroses in common that like, yeah, (laughs) I am a high stress person. I run on stress and then I, inject myself with more caffeine to make it worse and that's just how i live my life which is like the worst way (laughs) to possibly live um but yeah uh definitely need i need those things in my life that are going to help with stress because i am a high stress person Mm -hmm. for sure yeah i I mean i've told my coworkers Mm -hmm. if they see me like running hot laps around the neighborhood during Mm -hmm. office hours don't talk to me yeah. there's a reason Something bad just happened and I just <laughs> get out of my system yeah oh shit <laughs> not professional sorry phone started ringing i don't even know why the ringer's on usually i don't have it on i turned uh, mine off did you thank you pro. appreciate You're that welcome. well you've been doing podcast after podcast so <laughs> that's probably why um no but i appreciate it um hopefully it doesn't ring again uh i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it down uh awesome so running cooking baking um i'm sure too that's really interesting to talk about getting your hobby back after trying to make it a profession i bet Mm -hmm. because like just knowing how fucking hard it is for small restaurants bakeries anything um i can imagine that would kill your passion really really quick because it's just every day trying the water level is like right (laughs) up near your mouth and just trying to stay afloat and keep breathing. Uh, it's terrible. Support small businesses, guys. Support small bakeries, Please small do restaurants. It. Do it. Uh, Taco Bell doesn't need any more money. I'm saying <laughs> that because I used to work for Taco Bell when I was a kid. Fuck them. 
Just kidding. It wasn't that bad of a jab. Uh, of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why? Oh, boy. Um, I think, honestly, even though it's not a perfect script, mm-hmm. um, the first script that I wrote in that certificate program, so it would have been the first like serious script that I committed myself to, mm-hmm. Um, it's called little pieces of everything. It's the Mm -hmm. one that won the contest. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my favorite because it was the first time that I was trying it first of Mm -hmm. all. So I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And so I was open to just trying whatever I could on the page. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I didn't know the rules yet. So I wasn't, um, held back by that. Um, and I, and the story itself ended up m- sort of metaphorically, you know, mirroring what was going on in my life. And so I didn't realize it as I was writing it, but it was, um, cathartic getting out, you know, all of the things that I was experiencing and worried about and stuff on the page through a totally different story. Sure. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's never going to sell Um, it's probably too broken to even fix because it is so different. Like I would, I would have to make it myself if I wanted to ever see it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a great story and I really loved the story and the, the tone and, um, it was about just women's relationships and it was about surrogate family. And that is something that you don't see a ton of, um, in a positive way. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, um, it was really great to explore that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, weirdly, my first one is my favorite too. So I get it. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of freedom in that first time, truly putting yourself out there. Um, and I had a similar experience. It's very much about me and what I was experiencing about at the time through a completely different story. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. acting as a metaphor, but yeah, I think that's why I hold, hold on to that one as my favorite too, because like you said, it was very personal, you know, and there's something special about that first time of vomiting out Mm -hmm. feelings through story. And, um, that's probably become my favorite thing about writing in general and screenwriting is being like, uh, I'm just an opinionated Mm -hmm. person. I have strong feelings about shit. And now you are going to sit there and listen to them. (laughs) Uh, or uh, hopefully watch them. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but yeah, that, and that's the beauty of filmmaking, you know, having a point of view uh, is one of the most mm-hmm. important things. Uh, cool though. Uh, I love that. I love whenever people's like most unpolished, rough around the edges, but personal thing is still their favorite. Even when they know for a fact, they've probably written better shit at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> still holding on to that one. Uh, so what's a recent accomplishment that you're proud of screenwriting related could be, doesn't have to be what's something recently that you're proud of. Um, I think, um, probably the work, uh, that the LA shorts collective is doing right now. So uh-huh. on Twitter, Twitter is a great resource y'all. Um, uh-huh. that's twitter.com, right? <laughs> Twitter dot com okay cool 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 the twitter yeah got it um this summer i was like ready to chew through a wall mm-hmm. because i hadn't made anything in mm-hmm. almost two years mm-hmm. 
and I had the itch so bad. Um, and this was like peak Omicron time. So it was like, we're not making shit right now, but I wanted to do something. Um, and also realizing didn't have the resources to do what I wanted to do, Mm -hmm. but I really wanted to make something. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just put out a call on Twitter and was like, let's fucking make some shit this summer. Who wants Mm -hmm. to do it? And I always forget that like, it's not three people listening to me. Yeah, like, I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. Thought maybe one or two friends would be like, eh, yeah. maybe. And then it would fall through and we'd never make anything. Was it a hundred people? It was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is so sweet. You know what I mean? It's so oh. sweet and nice, but you're just like, well, logistically that fucks up a lot of things <laughs> that I had in mind. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and then I'm one of those people pleasers. So then I'm like, God, I can't abandon all these people. What are we going to do? So then I was like, fuck it. We're going to start a collective. And I'm sure like half these people are going to drop off Mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. But even if half these people stay, we can make something really cool. Yeah. Um, and so I just put together like a basic, like, um, mission statement and, sort of like vision and then structure for it so that people knew how to get in touch mm-hmm. and what everybody was bringing to the table. And then just mm-hmm. said like, have at it. You own your shit. This is how you're going to crew up. Um, it's a free resource, but it's not going to cover everything and whatever you need, ask the question. Yep. Um, and we have made seven shorts, um, since this summer and we have four more in pre-production right now. Wow. Um, that's amazing. It's been awesome. Yeah. So that's way so bigger cool. than I ever would have expected. And, and it all started with a tweet. Right. And it started with a tweet. God, that's so funny. Um, <laughs> that's how like Jen Dunn's writer uh-huh. writers group thing started. Yeah. It's, you know, as much as, as shitty as Twitter is, it's also amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also done a lot of cool things for all of us. So, uh, Cool. Yeah. I saw that your documentary, it's a short documentary, Marginalia. Is that how you yep. say that? Yep. Okay, cool. Um, what is that about without giving away too much? <laughs> that is, it starts, it's not going to be about this, but it starts with a viral tweet um, that I made mm-hmm. God, last year, I think at this point. <gasps> this is the Bukowski this- thing. This is the Bukowski thing. Explain it for people who don't know, but this is uh, Melissa's pinned tweet and it's amazing. <laughs> so I bought a used book online um, for one of those like huge conglomerate used bookstores. Hmm. And I got this thing and it was just like covered in scribbles mm-hmm. from someone who had read it. And I didn't even look at them at first. I was pissed because I couldn't even read this book because it was so covered. Yeah. And I put it away. Um, and I was going to send it back. And then I just decided to flip through it again for some reason. And there was one, uh, of the, um, whatever scribbles, like scribbles yeah, caught my eye yeah. because it was so hilarious. And it was the first one on, on this thread. Uh-huh. And it's, if you have not read Charles Bukowski, he is a very problematic poet, yeah. um, who is pretty misogynist talks yeah. about, you know, sex and violence a lot. I personally really enjoy his work, but have some issues with him as a person. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. This reader obviously hated everything about him and had no idea what she was reading when she Uh picked up 
book. Yeah. And so she's responding to one of his um, poems and she just says like, go to therapy dummy. Mm. And I was like, that's kind of brilliant. And so I started flipping through these and it, it was all that just like yeah. her from her modern feminist perspective back to the sky. Yeah. Um, and, and in it, a really funny way. It's the funniest shit ever. <laughs> um, it's such a genius idea of like any writer that I can think of for, like you said, you know, uh, a young modern feminist to do this to Bukowski is probably, you know, number one up there. Like, uh, and yeah, that thread is just so good. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. Because um, something really, truly magical happens. Yes. So half jokingly, I was like, we have to find this person. I think I love her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just like sent that out into the ether and absolutely didn't expect it to happen. And then I woke up the next morning and my phone was broken. I couldn't mm-hmm. log into Twitter. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I texted one of my friends and I was like, can you log into Twitter and see what the hell is happening? Cause like it's crashing on my phone. I don't know what's happening. Um, like it would show 20 plus notifications and I click on it and crash. Um, and she logged on, she's like, Oh my God, they found her. (laughs) And so I had to have her send me the TikTok video that this woman sent in response, Uh um, saying who she was. And then again, I couldn't find her because the notifications were going crazy. Like, I think at this point it's like 60,000 responses to this thing. Yeah. Um, and so as they're refreshing in real time, you can't keep up with them. And so I couldn't locate like where she was in this whole thing and it had been mm-hmm. forwarded by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it literally felt like I was like running across the field to her, like, and then she finally DM'd me. And so we started talking, mm-hmm. um, and it was great. And she's a lovely person. And so uh-huh. out of that came marginalia because uh-huh. it was a really interesting conversation. To so me. smart. Yeah. This is so um, smart to do a short doc about this because it is yeah. such a magical thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and through that, that thread, eventually when I was able to actually read it, there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people talking about this, mm-hmm. um, about their love for marginalia and people who collect it and people who write it and why they do that. And then people mm-hmm. on the other side who are like, you absolutely never write in books. Why would you do this? Mm-hmm. Um, <gasps> and so this is going to be the shit. I can't yeah, wait to see this. Super fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just interviewing those folks and, um, I got, a poet laureate to um, lend us his poem about marginalia Uh um so i'm super stoked on it so we're kind of like halfway through all of that that is amazing and i mean that so genuinely i cannot (laughs) wait to see that um it kind of just sounds like the perfect subject matter for a short doc and then like you said having the two opposing sides and people feel very very strongly about books uh, in general literature, but like books, physical books versus even, even that physical books versus the Kindle, you know, people feel very strongly. Um, and you know, the desecration of books, you know, or being anti-desecration of books. Um, Mm -hmm. I personally am that shit's funny. If it's, if you're writing funny jokes, do it. If your jokes suck, then don't ruin the book. But, um, (laughs) but that sounds like, well, I saw it firsthand. It's, truly funny um 
that that young woman is a genius. Uh, <laughs> cool. That that sounds really rad. And the whole LA Shorts Collective thing is super cool. Um, so yeah, uh, where can people find that information about LA Shorts Collective? Um, you can either hit up my Twitter or you can go to my website um, and just contact me. And mm-hmm. I will let you know how to get involved if you're interested. Sweet. There you go, yeah. guys. Um, so what are a few words that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there? Uh, words of advice, especially those who are just getting started. I think for people who are just getting started, you can't speed up the learning process. Um, and so you're going to run into all sorts of advice and all sorts of rules. And I think what I would just advise is take it all in, listen to it, Mm -hmm. but don't take it to heart. Mm -hmm. Um, because there will be things that work for you that don't work for other people and vice versa. There will be things that work for you at a certain time in your career that won't work for you later in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to learn the rules in order to break them. So you sort of have to go through the process of experimenting with what the rules are and really learn them really well mm-hmm. before you can drop all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be the writer. We are all this writer, but don't be the writer who thinks you're like the special genius who can yeah. break all the rules right up front. Cause you can't, yeah. you're not fooling yeah. anyone. Yeah. And I bet uh, your script <laughs> sucks. I mean, just yeah. being real, I bet it's not good. Uh, yeah. I could be proven wrong, but anyway, uh, yeah. sorry. Usually can't like just throw away structure completely on your first script and expect that to be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, maybe after you've gone through a few of them. Maybe. Yeah. You know. But either way, people uh, are going to get to page 45. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, what, what are we doing? This? What is the plot? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think you got to listen to it and, yep. and do, but also don't expect that that's like the gospel, mm-hmm. um, that you have to hang on it to it forever. So that's probably Yeah. And it's weird at some point too, you'll just kind of wake up one day and realize that you've written enough and had enough good feedback to give you confidence that you are on the right track that you'll Mm -hmm. just be like, Oh, I guess I'm at that point now where I don't Mm -hmm. give a shit about the rules. Um, I hit that like in the last like six months Mm -hmm. of just being like, I think I've reached that point where I suddenly, cause it's kind of hard to make sense of when you're first getting started. Like, everyone says that, you know, learn the rules and then learn when to break them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how am I going to know when to break them? And like someday when you were writing your fifth script, sixth script, whatever it is, you'll just realize like, oh shit, I know enough now. And I'm aware enough about the craft of writing and the pitfalls that you can run into and Mm -hmm. um, what maybe being overconfident might look like. So now I'm at a point where, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Um, I feel confident that I know what I'm doing. You're never going to be fully confident. We all think we suck, but (laughs) you will reach a point where you've had enough positive feedback, positive reinforcement, like you got when you were four or five years old from your mom that you'll (laughs) hang on to for the rest of your life. Uh, Still gunning to become a poet someday. Oh, it's going to happen. It'll happen someday. Uh, So we've kind of talked about projects already. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Um. 
I mean, we talked about your shorts. I should probably rearrange this list of questions because <laughs> I do this every time when I get to the end. I'm like, oh, we already talked about all of this. I'm going to cross it out right now <laughs> with my pen here. Uh, okay. So, uh, but is there anything else that you would like to plug? Uh, you plugged LA Shorts Collective. You plugged Marginalia. You plugged Leftovers. Uh, we talked about your scripts right now. Um, yeah, that's probably it, right? <laughs> that's all you got going on. You can plug this episode. Anything else I can add to that? Uh, spay and neuter your pets. All right. Go on the Bob Barker route. My plug. I appreciate that. Yeah. Do all right. Step. Cool. Well, guys, that was Melissa Turkington. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you uh, for having me. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really insightful stuff. I'm looking forward to everything you're doing. Leftovers someday. Marginalia someday. Uh, and more work with LA Shorts Collective. I need to look that up and see what you guys are all about. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. All right, guys, that was it. That's episode nine of the Social Screenwriters Podcast, the last single-digit episode that we're going to have. After here, it's double digits and then triple digits and so on and so forth. I want to thank you guys so much for all the support so far. It really means a lot. Um, I want to thank Melissa Turkington for coming on the show. Her handle is at leftovers underscore movie on Twitter. Go give her a follow. She's awesome. Um, really enjoyed her insights to the craft and her story about her background. Especially enjoyed hearing about leftovers, the short film. It sounds like a really touching personal piece of work that I can't wait to see and marginalia, which also sounds dope. I can't wait to see those things. Um, yeah, if you guys want to say something nice about the episode, something you learned, something you think I'm bad at that I can do better, uh, go ahead and tag us on uh, Twitter and say something at Social Writer Pod or my handle is at Andy Compton underscore. Uh, say something, whatever, you know, and I will try my best to answer every single time. Um, I always love seeing nice things on there about the podcast. If you want to donate, uh, you can do that at social writer pod on IG and Twitter at the link in our link tree link. Uh, there's a link to donate. It's a PayPal thing. Uh, I would really appreciate it. It helps me out a lot to keep this train going. Other than that, uh, guys, let's go out there, do some writing, uh, be kind to each other on the internet. Uh, unless someone completely sucks, then it's totally okay to be mean to them. Uh, take care, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social